Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your video cast episode 121, podcast episode 111 for the week ending February 10th, 2020. Uh, we'll kick it off quickly with the media spots and then get right down to it. We've got a lot of Ask Me Anything questions and a lot of stuff to cover. So uh, here we go. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank uh, Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on Fox Business, The Clayman Countdown, last Friday. We're going to go into detail on that uh, in the article of the week uh, as I covered uh, biotech on that segment and uh, enjoyed that very much. Uh, also, uh, we saw today, uh, here it is, uh, Fox posts higher revenue on ad sales strength. Advertising revenue rose about 6% in the last quarter. We all know that's due to Liz Clayman and the Clayman countdown knocking the cover off the ball. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, kudos to Fox Corp. Uh, and then also on Friday night, I was on uh, CGTN Global Business with Sean Calebs. So thanks to Sean and to Ryan Gallagher and I Zing for having me on. Uh, then moving along to Reuters, uh, this was last Friday. Uh, Herb Lash uh, called me from Reuters. Thanks, Herb, for including me. And my quote was, uh, the initial reaction was, oh, that's bad news. But when you look under the surface and see the number of employed, unemployed now versus pre-pandemic, uh, that's when you start seeing a bid on everything. The economy is generally okay. People are back to work. People are getting out, and that's a positive thing. Uh, and then I want to thank... Uh, Bansari Kamdar for having me in her article on Tuesday. Uh, said markets finished out pretty decently last week after a tough month in January. So it does seem that you had capitulation on that Monday. That would be the 24th. And since then, the market is trying to work its way up. And that still holds true even today after the, uh, the Bullard noise. Um, you know, here was the headline that caused the market to tank today. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard said he supports raising interest rates by a full percentage point by the start of July. Uh, there were some jokes on Twitter that said uh, <laughs> uh, Bullard walk up this morning and chose violence. <laughs> I think that's an understatement. I don't know what happened to him. He was the most dovish, even-handed, level-headed guy uh, three years ago. And then when... Uh, um, uh, someone else got the job that he was gunning for. He turned into this hawk and wanted to just destroy everything in his sight. But nonetheless, look, inflation is here. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, so let's let's move on. So thanks to Sean and Ryan. Uh, and then, uh, oh, and then uh, went on a new show for the first time, uh, Benzinga, Money Mitch with Mitch Hawk. This was a great interview because it went uh, was you know it was 15 minutes or so. We went into energy, Iran, Russia, everything uh, that you can imagine. Uh, had a lot of fun with that. So thanks to uh, Mitch over there. And then today I was on this um, Capital Allocators Roundtable, Hedge Funds on the Rise Again, hosted by Paul Gray of uh, Ironside Capital. Uh, it's an investment summit featuring leading fund managers and executives in the hedge fund industry. So I was one of the featured speakers. Uh, this was about a half hour uh, or 40 minutes, and I should be getting that video later today. We're going to go into some of the notes on that um, pretty shortly, like uh, right now. First, uh, today I was scheduled to be on Fox Business. Uh, that's going to be rescheduled uh, uh, for a different date, um, either tomorrow or sometime next week. 
And uh, what I was originally asked to talk about, though, was the CPI, which I'm sure is on everyone's mind today after uh, Bullard went uh, hog wild this afternoon. Um, so the notes that I had sent to Ellie uh, ahead of time was if you if you look at the CPI for the 12 months ended uh, 2021, you're going to find that the major increase comes from two key categories. And maybe I can actually pull this up. Uh, let's see here. Um, just trying to see if it's still up here. Uh, I think, it, yeah, here it is. Michael Farr posted it. Um, okay, so if you look here, um, all of the big gains over the last 12 months have been in energy uh, and in used cars, okay? So used cars have been rolling over in the last four weeks, and we actually see it here in the numbers. So that's a non-issue. Non that, that's going in the right direction as the supply chain starts to ease. The energy... Um, is another factor. So energy not only affects oil products and utilities, it affects everything as it is an input cost to most goods and services. This is different than the last time inflation was high in the early 1980s because it's a short-term supply issue, COVID production shutdowns in factories, etc., cetera, uh, and a dramatic increase in demand all at once across the board. Three overriding factors in the oil market could help to alleviate short-term pressures. One would be an Iran deal. That could bring 1.4 to 1.8 uh, million barrels a day back on the market if signed. The administration is incentivized to get something done with Iran in a midterm election year as consumer confidence is joined at the hip with inflation. As prices have gone up, confidence numbers have plummeted. Second, uh, Russia-Ukraine de-escalation. This is a political posture for sanction removal by Putin. It's in no one's interest to engage in a hot war right now. And three, uh, the U.S. rig counts are, are ticking up every week again. Uh, so supply is going to come back as well. So uh, I think that the core uh, cause behind uh, these uh, excessive inflation numbers is going to uh, ease up. The other thing is, uh, as I said, used car prices are ticking down in the past month. And we're also seeing demand shift from goods to services as Omicron dies down. This is going to help to alleviate supply chain pressures in coming months. While labor costs remain sticky, uh, but more people are going back to work, which has put a, a lid on escalation, uh, will put a lid on ex escalation. And people are returning to their jobs for three reasons. First off, we saw on Friday, the labor force participation rate ticked up to 62.2 versus 61.9 last print. Still down 63.4, but people are going back to work for the following reasons. Number one, employers have paid up to get labor. We saw the average hourly earnings were up 5.7% year on year. Uh, benefits ran out at the, at the federal and state level. And three, which was a big thing in early January, vaccine mandates were overturned in the courts. 26% uh, or so of the population is not vaccinated. A bunch of those people went back to work and created some supply. The more supply of labor we have, the, the uh, slower the pace that those wages are going to rise. And as we get uh, material amounts of labor, uh, they may flatline once again, as, as we had been accustomed to before the pandemic. Um, uh, earnings are the name of the game. So I was, I was, gonna, I was uh, slated to be on for CPI and earnings. After flatlining for, uh, for weeks, 2022 earnings estimate actually popped last Friday, which is really good news up to 24.85. So we're still not at 
my 230 goal, but we're moving in the right direction, which is really good. That implies 8.6% earnings growth for the year. GDP still expected to come in around 4% for 2022. And with these factors in play, uh, we anticipate high single digits to low double digit returns for 2022 with continued elevated volatility. Now, um, as far as, um, so for Paul Gray's segment, uh, he had a few questions that he directed to me, and I'll, I'll get the video posted on hedgefundtips.com later today, but uh, they, they were good. He said, what, what, what is your outlook on the future of foreign banks like HSBC in the U.S.? Um, you know, my, my, my general takeaway, foreign banks are similar to U.S. banks. The time to buy was in 2020 when we were pounding the table. Now that they're all up double and triple, everyone wants them. We've been lightening up. Uh, we continue to hold a, a small core position in Wells Fargo. Uh, we would reload on, reload on a big pullback, but I don't think we're going to get one. Uh, and we would also want to see the, the yield curve start to re-steepen before we got confidence to pound the table on that. Uh, it's been flattening pretty consistently since June. Uh, in this low rate interest environment, uh, low interest rate environment, how are you helping to mitigate inflation for your investor capital? What are your thoughts on potential Fed hikes this year? Um, so this is a rear view mirror question. Our two Biggest position initiations in 2020 were banks and energy. We're now lightening up. Uh, so the time to buy insurance is before the fire. Now that everyone's talking about inflation is not the time to hedge out inflation. The time to hedge out inflation was when they announced $5 trillion of spending and $2 trillion of spending, which is now all in the rearview mirror. Uh, demand is shifting from goods to services. That's going to alleviate supply chain issues. And uh, I'll take the under on rate hikes. Uh, you know, you've got banks now calling for seven or eight hikes. I think three or four is going to be uh, probably the magnitude of it, despite Bullard going off the rails today uh, based on uh, backward looking uh, rearview mirror data. Um, okay, so we covered some of these other things as, uh, with, uh, with my notes to Ellie. The other thing, keep in mind, Saudi Aramco just announced that they're selling another $50 billion in stock. People sell $50 billion of stock not because they think the price of oil is going up. <laughs> they sell $50 billion of their, their uh, family jewels uh, uh, because they're, they're uh, less confident in, in uh, the future than, than they are in the present. Uh, the administration is incentivized to get something done with Iran. Okay, we covered that. And then uh, you've shared statistics regarding Ali Cloud could reach 45 billion or a third of cloud revenues, even if they lost some market share. Considering this, along with the fact that Chinese cloud market could reach a third of the U.S. cloud by 2026, how do you think uh, U.S. companies are factoring the geopolitical risk into their investments? I think this question is kind of overthinking it, and he didn't ask me that on the call. Which, um, uh, you know, our thesis on Alibaba is very simple. Uh, first off. All sales have expiration dates. So when you go to a store with your coupon, if you don't uh, redeem it by a certain time, you miss the sale. And I think that's exactly what we're in right now with Alibaba. Uh, you know, look, revenues have grown 900% since 2014, cash flow 600%, earnings 600%. Even if the growth rate cuts in half moving forward, you're still buying it at 2014 prices before any of that growth happened, and they're still going to grow well above trend, well above uh, um, many of even some of the fangs uh, in the U.S., and they're trading at a historically low multiple 12 or 13 times, depending what you look at. Uh, and those opportunities don't come around very often, and that's why smart people are getting involved. 
impatient people will puke out at 110 or at 120, or I think we closed at 125 today, so we're off the lows now. Um, uh, and smart people will just accumulate when all the weak hands keep selling. It's, it's uh, the latest scare this week was that SoftBank did a billion share registration because their ARM, ARM uh, uh, sale blew up with uh, NVIDIA. NVIDIA has to pay SoftBank $2 billion for the breakup fee. They're going to now IPO ARM, which means they'll probably get more money for ARM than they would have gotten otherwise. Uh, and uh, they're, they're going to be just fine. Masayoshi san is not a schmuck. Uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, have that kind of success uh, selling prized assets when they're you know down 50% and trading probably at a third of their intrinsic value. So, um, so on that basis, you know, uh, Alibaba rallied back from one, I think it got down to 110 or 112 again uh, in the last few days. And now it's back up to 125, uh, and, uh, hopefully just going to power through this, uh, range that it's been stuck in for the last month or so. Um, all right. You previously discussed the potential for the investment in the so-called left for dead biotech segment. Uh, thesis again here is very simple. We looked at the top, the earnings power of the top 30 holdings in the XBI, uh, since November, the earnings power, cumulative earnings power has come down about 40 basis points, while the ETF dropped over 37 base, uh, 37%, so less than a percent on earnings power, uh, 37% on price. And we think that dislocation is temporary as valuations have fallen so much. Uh, there are currently about 100 biotech companies whose cash stockpiles now exceed their current market value, their stock market values. So one uh, conservative way to play it is through the uh, basket XBI. That's what I covered on with Liz Clayman on Friday. And, um, and then uh, we're going to go into a quantitative study that Bank of America did uh, recently from 1986 to 2021. They took their, they garnered the sector's average price to book multiple, average price to operating uh, cash flow multiple, and average forward PE multiple. Based on their current valuation, the sector would have to appreciate 24% to get back to its average price to book multiple. It'd have to appreciate 155% to get back to its average price to operating cash flow multiple. Uh, and it would have to appreciate 112% to get back to its average forward PE multiple. So with, uh, and, and by the way, none of these recover, uh, you know, these things swing in both directions. So when they swing to the, the low side of their range, the pessimism is extreme. And when they recover, they don't stop at their average when they recover. They overshoot on the upside because everyone wants to buy it after it's already up double and triple. Uh, and that's when we'll be laying it off and help, helping them out. So um, uh, this this is a, a unique opportunity. So, so when you look at the more important uh, metrics like price to operating cash flow, yeah, 155% for the sector to get back to its uh, its average since 1986 on that multiple. It ain't going to stop at 155. It may stop out at 200 or 220, you know, 250 before it reverts back to the mean, and that's just the extremes when it oscillates around the around the mean over time. Um, same will probably be true with Alibaba. Now. Um, the other thing is, you know, sales, you know, as people are going back to work, people are also going back to the doctor. 
which means more scripts. The salesmen are coming off the Zooms and taking the doctors out to steak dinners and 18 holes. That's when scripts get written, new drugs get sold. Uh, that's critical. And then biotech M&A is near historic lows last year. Healthcare cash on the balance sheet is up to $500 billion across the sector. That's up 400% over the last two decades. Many blockbuster drugs are coming off patent now. Big Pharma has one choice and one choice alone. They're going to have to take that cash and buy growth and innovation from biotech that's trading at historically low multiples, and they're going to do just that. And you're going to see M&A start to tick up huge. So, um, so that was with Paul Gray. Be sure to check that out uh, when it goes on the website. And then uh, moving right along, let's uh, get kick off our ask me anything questions. We've got quite a few again this week. Uh, ben, first name only. Hey, Tom, are bond and note yields ready for a reversal? If they are, what are your thoughts on REITs and Duke Realty Corp in particular, DRE? A well, very well-respected rating service that gives DRE an A and it chart looks like it has much upside. Uh, I would like to learn how you evaluate DRE's chart. Thank you, Ben. Well, first off, I don't look at charts to make investment decisions. I look at charts after I've made investment decisions to, to make a determination of whether I want to buy it or not, uh, or whether it's the right time to buy it. So um, now, uh, what we've been saying all last year is we thought that rates would peak out between uh, 2% on the 10-year and 225 on the 10-year in the first quarter. Uh, we just hit that today, uh, so that was an accurate assessment. Um, we hit 2% on the 10-year yield. It is the first quarter. That was pretty damn good because it was not con a consensus view when we originally laid it out four or six months ago. Um, that said, uh, is it time to buy bonds yet? I think hold your horses. I think let's wait for kind of a capitulation, maybe two 225. I mean, you'll be able to buy some utilities and you'll be able to buy some selected REITs uh, and you'll be able to buy some, uh, some defensives uh, selectively, but uh, it's not wholesale. And I know that because we haven't been putting any on the trade service, which is more short term. And we do look at charts and we look at more short term earnings, but uh, we haven't been putting any on yet. So they, they probably aren't oversold enough. Uh, DRE... And, uh, and this was, yeah, so Duke Realty. Yeah, so this had the pullback we were expecting uh, when you asked if REITs were overdone. Um, yeah, I, I'd be inclined to wait a little bit on this one and let this, let this play out. See, see where it is at, you know, look, if you don't get 225 on the 10-year and two was it and, I, and that was the bottom end of my range, so you miss a trade, you know, on to the next. There's so many things to do in the market. Like, you know, picking up pennies with REITs is like the least interesting thing that I can think of. Um, but your, your, your point is valid. You know, you're looking at a, a decent sized pullback here. You're saying, hey, should I step in? I'd say not yet. Wait, Let, let's just wait. Um, take a breather. See if we can get up to 220, 215, somewhere in there. When people start really puking utilities and REITs, then, then there'll be an opportunity to step in. So great question, Ben. All right, uh, Tom, 
Hi, Tom. Thank you for all your podcasts. I look forward to them every week. I learn something new every time. You focused on Alibaba quite a bit recently. However, the stock has not done much lately. Seems like the market sentiment about Chinese companies continue to be negative. Every week, something new spooks the market. I've compiled commentary about China and Alibaba from the latest earnings call transcripts of Big Shoes Cosmetics Companies. And most of these companies point to a very good December quarter. Hopefully, this should translate into a good quarter for Alibaba as well. What are your thoughts on when do you expect uh, sentiment in Chinese equity would finally change for the better. What are you, some catalysts that you see on the horizon? So, uh, good questions to me. I, I mean, um, the answer is it's changing. I mean, you, you got that final flush from uh, the uh, share registration. You've had some overhang with a weaker consumer because of uh, COVID shutdowns in China is still on the zero COVID policy. Uh, the Olympics, they've kind of shut down a lot of industry to curb sol- pollution. So, so there's been a little headwind there, but that's going to be rearview mirror stuff. Uh, you've got earnings coming up sometime this month. They haven't announced the date. I, I don't think I saw it on the investor relations. Uh, I checked a couple of days ago. That's probably the next big catalyst either way. If you get a final flush, it's an opportunity to pick up shares. Uh, but to your point, it might be better than expected. We shall see. Uh, but I don't think about it on a quarterly basis. I, 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 I do when, when I'm putting 20% of a portfolio in an idea, I'm not doing it with a scalpel. I'm doing it with a crayon. It's so far within a margin of safety. I, I mean, you could buy this thing at, 20, at $220 today. And if you had a five-year view, you're, it, you've got a bargain of a century. And the fact that we're at 125 or 110 or whatever it's going to be in the next week, uh, makes no difference to me because, as a matter of fact, I um, want to welcome on Carter Benson, who just joined me as a junior analyst and admin. Uh, and he put together this, uh, has been working on this and put together this 42 page pitch book on Alibaba. Um, and, you know, it's basically taking a lot of the ideas from uh, what we've talked about uh, in recent weeks and just kind of putting them in fancy charts. Uh, you know, but, but look, I mean, you just look at these things. You don't need a scalpel to figure this out. You're getting this, okay? Here's a, a chart that shows the compound annual growth rate of revenue, which has been 34% since IPO uh, per year. Uh, so you're getting this and you're paying for this. This is not rocket science. You're getting this and you're paying for this. So you'd have to believe that you're going back to this to think that you're overpaying at these levels. What Whatever... Uh, emotionalism comes out in the market in the short term. I, I don't care. It's an opportunity to pick up a few more shares. And I did so on a personal basis this week. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just a headache. So, so anyway, uh, Carter did a sum of the parts valuation. He got up to 30341. Uh, you know, I, I think anywhere between like 260 and 290 in the, sh- in the intermediate term makes sense. Uh, 12 to 24 months at that level, you probably get another pullback and a second chance to buy. But, um, you know, this, this is uh, this is one of the no brainer ideas, but they don't give away money for free on Wall Street. So the fact that I'm getting the, the same emails from the same people, when's it going to turn every every couple weeks is exactly by design of how it has to be for it to be one of the greatest trades of all time, because it's got to depress enough people and shake the weak hands out of their stock and leave them holding nothing before it takes off. And then at some point, 
like we saw with Wells Fargo, it's going to take off in a way that it will not let those people in because it's going to move up to 140 or 160. And then all those people are going to say either they're going to buy it at like 160 like schmucks or they're going to say, uh, let me wait for a pullback and the pullback never comes. That, that's the worst of both worlds. So uh, remember, and, and this is going to be a quote that is going to come up. I thought of it last night when I was writing the article. All sales have an expiration date. There's never, uh, unless you go to some of those electric, uh, electronic stores in New York City and Times Square for all the tourists that have sale on the window all the time, <laughs> 24-7. They never take the sign down. But that's the exception. And they're not real sales either. They're marked up through the moon. So, um, so that just gives you an idea of some of the work we're, we're doing over here. Um, and uh, Cardo did a great job making it look all fancy and pulling all, all to, uh, together the ideas. You may recognize a bunch of these charts we've done. Uh, and we went through a couple weeks ago, Hong Kong's trading below book. And every time that happened, you saw huge monster rallies in the equity markets. And we're going to see the same thing again. This is the uh, China National Congress. Xi Jinping is, uh, is on rocky footing now. He's getting criticized locally. So into the National Congress, which is November of this year, on average, the MSCI China is up 31%. Alibaba is a big weight in, in, in uh, the Hang Seng and, and these indices. It'll be one of the core beneficiaries up much more than that. Uh, this was the uh, Goldman Sachs charts we put out a couple of weeks ago showing the different cycles when you get to despair and uh, despondency that, that creates bottoms. And then this shows the average trend, this red line uh, ahead of the China National Congress meeting. So nothing new, but all in one place. Uh, again, you see the uh, 40, 42% growth of, since 2019 of annual active customers. They're growing huge outside of China as well as in China. Uh, monthly active users uh, now uh, approaching uh, a billion in China and then a, a few hundred million outside. So again, 44% growth in the last three years. So this, this is the kind of stuff that dreams are made of. I mean, that's, that's all I can say about it. Uh, what other fancy stuff? That, then he talks about the cloud, which as you know from a Amazon Web Services that financed, created all the profits for uh, you know, the Amazon retail before they got the Prime subscription. But in the U.S., it's, it's a more mature market. The compound annual growth rate is expected to be 21% versus in China, 37% a year over the next five years. Uh, Alibaba is the number one player in China. It's the number one player in China, in Asia, the top four globally, and it has 6% of global market share. A lot of room to grow, no question about it. Um, uh, he did a, a table here of uh, Alibaba's operating margins relative to peers like Amazon, JD, and Pinduoduo, highest op operating margins, enterprise value to EBITDA uh, multiple, uh, Baba comes in at the lowest, that's good. And then um, some of the other stuff we've, we've talked about, uh, common prosperity, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, great job on that, Carter. But again, the story is the same. You just have to, you just have to wait it out. Uh, or sell to me, one or the other. Um, okay, great question there. Sumit, awesome as usual. Tim Jenkins. Tom, thank you for sharing your experience and insights with us. This is appreciated greatly. Questions. Microsoft wants to purchase Activision Blizzard for $95 a share. Please comment on your thoughts about this trade. Should this stock be a hold? Uh, Activision Blizzard? No. I mean, no. Sell it. It's up. I mean, you're going to wait a year for, for it to get approved by uh, 
the federal authorities for a couple bucks. I, I that's not my game. I mean, yeah, it's I mean it's trading at eighty one, so you get yeah, I mean twenty percent return, but it's not guaranteed. The government's going to say that they can't put their games exclusively on. Uh, Microsoft streaming platform they have to keep it on the consoles and the market will interpret that as negative I mean I'm not waiting a year for a 20% move it's not my game if you want to play merger arb it's probably a relatively safe bet uh, but that's I, I would I would pass um, uh, okay on on the December 23rd podcast you suggested we sell healthcare Cigna in March before the Fed meeting or possibly before the Fed rate hike please tell us about your feelings now I don't think I said that. So either either that, or either I misspoke or I, or you misunderstood it. What I've said consistently about Cigna is that I think Cigna is going to work its way back up to 270, and I've said that repeatedly over and over and over uh, since we first put it out down here. So uh, it's, it went up to 244. It pulled back. It's moving, working its way back up. I think it works up at least to 270 and then and then it's going to make new highs and that's going to take a little bit of time. That's irrespective of what happens in March. We already had the big pullback in the markets, 18% intraday on the NASDAQ, 12% intraday on the S&P, 9% on a closing basis. That's rear view mirror recency bias. So uh, so that one's fine. Alphabet has announced a 20%, 20 to 1 share split for July 18th. Please share your feelings about this. The, the size of the pizza is the exact same size. They just cut it into more slices. It has no, it affects nothing fundamentally. In the short term, you'll get some retail buyers coming in because they think the stock is quote unquote cheap. Uh, but um, more companies will follow suit. That's generally bullish for the market uh, because it, it brings in more retail despite the retail's ability by fractional shares on Robinhood and other platforms. Uh, you just see it at certain points in the cycle. So I would expect more of it. It's short-term perceived bullish, um, may have a short-term bullish uh, impact on the stock, but overall it means nothing. The fundamentals of the business don't change, it's just more slices. Um, Brady Todaro asked, Tom, great interview on Cheddar last week about Starbucks. I listened to the Starbucks earnings call and you can definitely tell that they've provided a soft landing by stating the word inflation for margin compression. As you said in your Cheddar interview, Starbucks suffered from double pay. Their revenue came in higher than expected and they seemed pretty upbeat overall and still didn't specifically address the union push and other employee issues that could lead to further margin compression other than to say we continue to listen to our Starbucks partners. My question is why does Wall Street get bent out of shape when companies report increased wages for their employees but celebrate when the CEO pay is increased? I am all for increased CEO pay for performance and to attract and retain talent. Is this reaction specific to the restaurant retail industry because margins are already slim as it is? I know Starbucks is under the microscope with public union push and recently raised CEO pay, which has drawn a lot of attention on social media and, and from politicians. So um, thank you, Brady Todaro. Great question, Brady. Um, so here's the bottom line. The reason that Wall Street likes CEO pay going up and not worker pay is because workers comp is not tied to stock performance and owners only care about what happens to the stock. So um, the vast majority of owners comp when you uh, of uh, CEO comp when you hear huge numbers is because they grew the stock quite a bit. And if they grew the stock, usually it's related to 
uh, over time, certainly it's related to they're getting a good return on the capital, the owner's capital, debt and equity that they are investing in the business and they're getting above market returns, therefore they're getting above market comp and therefore because a bunch of their comp is in stock, uh, the vast majority of it, owners like it. Why? Because their interests are aligned. The interests are not aligned with, with workers. Workers that you know take some significant portion of their stock, their, their comp in stock, then we would be excited if their comp goes up because it means that their stock is going up. And I think that some companies should look at allowing, I know Walmart did stuff like this in the past, but uh, giving everyday workers, you know, two for one, maybe in their 401k, um, you know, up to, you know, 1% of their contribution rather than doubling it, they would triple it if they bought company stock so that everyone, rather than throwing out all the clean napkins that are on the table, they put them back in the machine, the, the napkin machine, you know, and cut costs because that's going to go straight to their bottom line because they're an owner in the business. It's just like, you know, renters or owners of a house. Who takes care of it better? Who respects it? Who cuts the lawn? Who takes pride in it? It's people who have an ownership interest. So um, I think that, uh, so that, that's the key reason. The margins across the restaurant industry vary from depending how, how well the business is run. Uh, but, um, you know, Chipotle had no problems with it. They had great earnings and, and Starbucks will be just fine. The it, union thing I covered it extensively last week is not an issue. It's like two stores. It's 30 that are on. It takes over a year and a half for the union to approve anything. And if it gets out of control, they'll just start shutting down stores and all of their international, their growth, 75% of the 2000 stores they're opening this year are international anyway. So if you get a hundred stores in the U.S., uh, going union by some slim chance of God, which is unlikely with such transitory workers, they can't organize because they're always rotating out. Um, then they'll just uh, they'll just open up, you know, 1,500 new stores internationally. 100 get destroyed. U.S. It's it's a non-issue. So um, so I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, Kashganja, Tom, another great video cast. Could we see a potential boom in oil tankers soon if the Iran deal goes positive? And there's an increase of oil output. Tanker rates are almost at an all-time low. Uh, so the risk and reward is very high. Greetings, Bart. Uh, yeah, so look, I mean, if you look at the uh, CEO from TK Tankers, he said that um, recently, I think it'll be a stronger quarter, definitely compared with Q3. Uh, Kevin McKay said, Will it return to levels we saw in the early part of 2020? I don't think we're going to get those kind of highs. Uh, not when we have 4.6 million barrels a day of crudes still not being transported around the world. So look, no question, as, as uh, the Iran deal would certainly help. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, COVID winding down is certainly going to help. The vaccination rates going up globally is helping. Uh, China, you know, maybe being able to uh, get rid of the zero COVID as we get more antivirals, all those things are going to uh, be factors. I mean, if you look at something like Frontline, which uh, I haven't done enough work on their balance sheet, but, um, you know, here's what they look like. And the reason I pull up Frontline is the uh, owner operator of this is one of the best in the business. You know, this was last time we had oil during this type of depression. 
and then you get a cycle going. And that's why we say, while we've been lightening up on oil, if we get a harsh pullback this year, we'll be reloading because I think the cycle is early. I think we could have another cycle like this with emerging markets, etc. So here's what tankers are doing. They're just left for dead like they were, and then all of a sudden they take off. So yeah, I think that's an astute observation, but that this is going to take a ton of patience. It's going to take time, and when it goes, it won't let anyone in. So uh, thoughtful. Uh, okay, Don Gaffney, Tom, can you give an update on Boeing and any type of timeline when this might move? Thanks. I think I answered this one yet last week, actually. Um, but, um, you know, so it moved up a bit this week. Um, it's all coming, it's, it's all going to be the China thing, and I guess that'll be after the Olympics. But, um, yeah, moved back up from 183 back to 220. It's done nothing for a year. And when it goes, it's going to go, and it's going to go straight to 280 then it's going to go into the 300s and eventually it's going to make new highs uh it operates in a duopoly yeah china will one day be able to produce but it will be not the same quality uh so i think you know if you look three years out this is a 350 dollars stock i think this year uh you know i i would be surprised if we're not over 280 in a, in a matter of months but um it could be it might just drag out but it's all dependent the next catalyst is china and uh, they've taken all the steps to uh, the plan. And then now uh, the government just has to say wheels up, which they're kind of in that mode anyway, because they gave them the plan in December. Why didn't it happen before the end of the year? Well, they got the plan before the end of the year. Why didn't they execute everything before the end of January? I don't know. So we're 10 days into February. They're late. I would imagine you're going to wake up some point in the next couple of months and the switch is going to flip and it's the first 60 points that everyone's going to miss. Um, Roy Rogers, Tom, listening to your podcast now and on your website, uh, pat yourself on the back. Definitely should appreciate the word of mouth you get for a voice for, uh, let's see, pat yourself on the back. Definitely should appreciate the word of mouth. You get a voice for finance and manager. Okay, the reason for the email is StoneCo, S-T-N-E. Stone is a Brazilian payment system that offers the lowest fees while offering customers a more incredible experience, not to mention a glowing, growing employment rate within Comp. Essentially, the company's strategy to produce profits from the financial service, credit card receivables, and working capital loans. However, since their margins were not adequate in 3Q uh, 2021, a priori of opportunity may develop. Uh, the current market value faltered 15 billion minus 85% year to date. There's a non-performing loan of less than 50%. I haven't rummaged the time to look on Moody's yet appears to be collateral leakage. Of course, not being steadfast in these situations is managing risks appropriately. Although I find these types of scenarios enticing, there are geopolitical factors with Brazil being in an election year, the top-down approach in my view, a deep value arbitrage since inflation is starting to lower and their economy is slowly picking up. Not to mention the FIFA World Cup is happening this summer. That said, this is a long view with sentiment low and most management credibility trading at historically low sales multiples. The growth is still accelerating, albeit revenue grows quarter by quarter, getting uh, valuations of six times EBIT. The target of 110 in 2026. Uh, new software, CapEx, Linux, open banking and oligopsis. So my question is, what's your take on Stone? Don't mean it to be a long email. Well, look, I, I'm not going to do comprehensive work on it. I generally am interested in Brazil. I'm, de I'm interested in Turkey, uh, certainly interested in China uh, and, and emerging markets. 
So the stock, as you said, has just been completely devastated here. It doesn't have a uh, you know, long enough track record that I usually feel comfortable with uh, getting aggressive in a stock. Um, but I did pull up some of their financials just to give you an idea. You know, it's, um, and you have to do more work. You gotta read the public filings. You gotta listen to the conference call. Find out, find out the bear thesis. You don't wanna ask me for the bull thesis. You wanna go find out what are the shorts saying? Why is this thing going to zero? Because there, there's a ton of people in the stock that believe it's going to zero, obviously. If you look at revenue per share, it's a consistent grower. Uh, even through all these troubles and, and even through the pandemic, it's grown revenues per share. Earnings per share took a hit. It's probably COVID related and, and the points that you were making. Free cash flow was negative. It's starting to turn positive. Um, you know, revenue, total revenue. I mean, this thing's gone up sixfold in uh, five years, basically, from 100 to 700. So 7x, 710 million in revenue. So, um, and you're buying it back below those prices. So there must be some credit risk that people are afraid it's gonna go bankrupt. If you can get comfortable around that, I, my guess is this is going to be a huge opportunity and you just have to size it a port. You know, people say, what's your stop loss? It's not a stop loss. It's how you size it. You know, you, you put in a size that you, you have to be comfortable. If there's something that I don't know that I don't know after you've done all your work and it went to zero, would it devastate me? Would they carry me out on a stretcher? And if the answer is no, because you'll make it up on other positions, then you, sometimes you got to take these chance. If you got, you know, one X downside and 10 X upside, that's kind of interesting. And I would treat this more like an option than a stock uh, with an unlimited time timeline. Uh, and, um, and, uh, but do your work first because I haven't looked at the balance sheet. Uh, if you look at, you know, kind of return on capital and equity, let's see what they've been doing. You know, it had been decent, it's mixed. I mean, you know, return on invested capital it's uh, low single digits was mid teens to high teens. So it's, it's, it's eroding a bit, but all of Brazil has been eroding. So I think coming out of the cycle, as you say, with inflation moderating, maybe you get a catalyst with the election. Uh, it could certainly be interesting. I think your thinking is spot on. You know, everyone else is looking at, you know, what hundred, hundred times sales stocks can I buy? And you're looking at what does no one want that has an opportunity that's a good quality business. And I'm with you. I, I mean, I'd probably take a punt and then I'd start to do some really serious research, uh, you know, put a few shares on to, to just keep it on, on your uh, screen. And then as you do more and more work, you find, understand the bear thesis, get comfortable as to why there's a lower probability to them being right than for it to work. Because if it works, it probably rebounds, you know, enormously. I'm very, very bullish on, on uh, emerging markets. Everyone hates them right now. So if this is a way to play it, I think I think your your thinking is there, but you got to do more work, and I'm not going to do, you know, three weeks of work to answer and ask me anything question. So, um, okay, Billy, let's see where we are. Jeez, Louise, that's a lot of questions, but I hopefully that was helpful. Um, okay, billionaire investor Leon Cooperman called inflation a friend of common stocks. Here's why he might be right. So he's basically pitching uh, what we've been talking about since 2020. Uh, before the fire came, how to prepare for the fire, which we did. Now we're taking off our fire insurance because the fire is already here. Um, but he's basically talking about small caps, uh, oil stocks, emerging market stocks as examples out, out, of outperformers in this type of environment. Uh, JP Morgan strategists see surefire sign it's time to buy stocks. VIX buy signal has proven 100% accurate outside of recessions. Uh, indicator supports JP Morgan belief that equities offer upside. The buy side, 
The buy signal is triggered when CBOE VIX rises by more than 50% of its one-month moving average, which it did on January 25th. Uh, the indicator has proven 100% accurate outside of recessions over the past three decades. We believe that equities still offer upside and that the cycle is far from over. Uh, in addition to the VIX signal, they look for more gains in earnings, a bottoming in China activity, and say investor sentiment has become too negative as of late. I agree with all of those points. Uh, I don't know about this VIX indicator, but I think their, their general overriding theme is correct. Blackmark says markets are expecting too many interest rate hikes stay bullish on stocks. I couldn't agree more. And I think BlackRock's even at, you know, above four uh, on their expectations. I think I take the under, you know, I think I think it's going to be four or three. And I think that's already priced in. And uh, I think, you know, Bullard going off the wheels today. It's not helpful, but the first move is always the wrong move. This will settle out in a couple sessions. And, uh, you know, it was just really designed to take all the Johnny-come-latelys who were selling at the lows two Mondays ago, who just bought at the highs yesterday, take them out of their stocks, scare the hell out of them, and then run back up, and they can't catch up. I mean, it's just, it's just classic textbook stuff. And uh, as, as Dean Martin quote in the article of the week, um, how do you know all this stuff? Well, it's very simple. Good judgment comes from experience, and experience... Well, that comes from poor judgment. It's just time in the game. Uh, that's all, all it comes from. Once you've been around, you've seen most things or some variations of it. Uh, U.S. households took on $1 trillion in new debt in 2021. Uh, that is uh, a good sign, actually, in this part of the cycle. So I would be inclined to, uh, you know, they'd been massively saving and scared last year. Now they're starting to ext- uh, borrow credit expansion that's mid-cycle stuff, uh, and, uh, and it's, just, it's just the beginning. And, and the other problem in that article, because uh, I read it on my account uh, this morning, was that I think they're comparing, uh, if I recall correctly, they were repairing non-inflation adjusted to 20, 2007. So it's like, are you joking? It's like, um, you know, the aggregate value, it would be like saying the aggregate value of housing is even higher than 2007 before the bubble. It's like, okay, but 14, you know, 15 years have passed. Uh, We've had inflation in the interim and meaningful in the last two or three years. uh, So that means nothing. So if you inflation adjust it, you'll see that it's not, uh, it's not meaningful. Plus it's the cost to carry and the cost to, anyway. Billionaire investor and Carlisle co-founder David Rubenstein says the U.S. won't spiral into a recession and inflation will dip to as low as 4% in 2022. Couldn't agree more. And I'll take the under on that, uh, David Rubenstein. I'm going to say three and a half to four uh, by the end of the year is more realistic. This stuff is going to change just as quickly as it escalated. And, uh, and we'll see. From my lips to God's ears, but uh, we'll take it as it comes. By the way, as it relates to Sumit's question, there were a couple things I wanted to see. Because we've gone through all the fundamentals over the weeks. But a couple of these things came out in Bloomberg articles this week. This is the NASDAQ Golden Dragon, which is like their tech index. Uh, forms a bullish pattern noted as a candlestick. So that was the end of last month. It shows the last uh, three times that it had that pattern and the rallies that you got afterwards. So just be patient here. It's part of the process. Um, The other thing that they showed in that article for those technical uh, um, evangelists, uh, they showed the RSI being below 14. 
you know, what happened here, rally, what happened here, rally, what happened here, rally, what happened here. Well, we're expecting a rally. So there's never been a time that it got down this low that you didn't eventually get a rally. So it's just a question of patience. They want to separate you from your stock and they're doing a good job. The other thing that I think is interesting, this was on the um, Charles Payne show today on Fox Business. Uh, this shows hedge fund short, short flow um, in the early part of the year. It's lower than it was. It's higher. In other words, there are more hedge fund shorting stocks than they were at the bottom of the pandemic. And we know what happened next. Uh, same thing in early 2020 when you got that. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. 2020. So we're sh they're shorting more stocks than they were at the bottom of the pandemic in 2020. And then I guess we got a scare sometime in early 2021. Let me see what that was. SPY. Okay, so it must have been here. Just this little pullback like we had here. I mean, this one's a little bit bigger, but they're shorting more stocks than they were down here. They're shorting more than they were down here. So this is effectively a contrarian indicator. It just speaks to sentiment. Everyone's crowded on one side of the boat. You don't want to be short when everyone's short. You want to get long. That data is from Goldman Sachs via Charles Payne. Uh, okay, now moving right along. JP Morgan Strategist says buy stocks as rate hikes now priced in. Equity cycle far from over. Uh, couldn't agree more. It is already priced in on the short end. Uh, and that's that. On to China. Bridgewater touts Chinese assets as P PBOC diverges. Uh, the, the thesis here is what I've been talking about for some time in the last handful of weeks on TV, which is that while the rest of the world, developed world, is tightening monetary and fiscal policy, China is easing aggressively into the China National Congress. They tighten too much. They realize they overshot as they do every three to five years. They're now rushing to reverse that and it takes time. Just as I said early last year when they were tightening in January, I said this is gonna end badly six months from now. Well, sure enough, the hell started in the summer of last year and they just started the uh, easing in November and December. So six months out from that, it's going to be through the roof and the euphoria is going to be back just like the pessimism was uh, 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 acute in, in July and August. So six month lag. So what are we in February? So that's three, four months in another couple of months. We're going to be back to euphoria. Um, this is another sign of good times. China companies try to list in the U.S. in test for regulators after clampdown. Neither the Chinese government nor the U.S. government would uh, allow this so quickly if the Chinese government wasn't green lighting it and the U.S. banks didn't want get to the, get the banking business. So the game is back on. Just, it's just going to wobble in, in the beginning after getting you know, absolutely monkey hammered uh, over the summer last year. Uh, it's going to come back. China state funds said to buy stocks to stem worsening route. Their local indices were getting punished about uh, three or four days ago. The Chinese uh, plunge protection team stepped in. He had a 6% rally the next day, and we're off to the races. So they, they get it. They're not, they're, they're not going to have a friendly transition uh, in November without getting their economy and their stock market humming once again. Um, MGM China's revenue beats forecast with 85% jump. Um, this is huge because we've been pounding the table on Wynn and Las Vegas Sands for some time. We hold those. And, uh, and we think they're now coming out of purgatory and into the promised land. Um, that's Carter's uh, work. 
Uh, stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. I should just do this quote every week and we, can, we could have a 30 second uh, podcast video cast. This tells you everything you need to know. When you buy quality, great investment opportunities come around when excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock to be misappraised. So speaking back to the guy with Brazil, um, Roy, Roy, you've got to figure out, Roy Rogers, that was a fast food chain in New Jersey in the 90s when I was growing up, and we'd go to hockey games, and they had the best roast beef sandwiches, and you could put all the pickles you wanted on it. I wonder if that's a pseudonym for uh, my Brazilian friend sending me the stone company uh, ask me anything question. But the, the key here is, uh, Roy, you've got to figure out whether... Um, Stoneco is an excellent company or not, or is it a crappy company going out of business? My bet is it's somewhere in between and the vast majority of the risk is priced in. And if you can get real comfort that they're not going anywhere, it's probably worth a flyer to start. Do some real research, study the balance sheet, study the bear case before you study the bull case, find out why people are short, find out why people think it's going to zero. And then if you can, if you feel that it's either inaccurate or, or uh, um, overestimating the downside, then, then you can start to, to really lean in. But uh, that's definitely one worth spending some time on. Um, okay, as oil hits $90, cost, high cost shale basins are hurriedly coming back online. And I mentioned that earlier in the call. You know the the cure to high price, the cure to high price, the cure to low prices is low prices. Cure to high prices is high prices. Disney stock crushed it. Uh, I was on with Mitch talking about this. I said they needed seven million. I think they got twelve million new ads. The parks blew it out of the water. You should listen to that Money Mitch interview. We were talking about all these things going to happen. Article of the week. Dean Martin, you're nobody till somebody loves you. This song uh, is incredible. Number one, uh, Dean Martin is incredible. But um, it was actually, I didn't know, it was published by Russ Morgan, Larry Stock, and James Cavanaugh in 1944. Uh, it became a hit for Morgan in 1946. He recorded it. It got to number 14 on the charts. But it really became legendary 18 years later when Dean Martin recorded it in 1964. It spent nine weeks on the Billboard chart. And 32 years later, it was the opening track for the 1996 classic film Swingers with Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, and Heather Graham, one of the best movies of all time, in my opinion. Uh, and, uh, and, the, and the appropriate lyrics are, you're nobody till somebody loves you, you're nobody till somebody cares. And uh, China Tech, Alibaba, and Biotech have been the two least loved sectors in recent weeks, but we believe that's changing as always, we remind our listeners, viewers on a weekly podcast video cast, opinion follows trend. So trend has been down, opinion is negative and despondent. Uh, before long, Dino's velvety lyrics will come to pass for both biotech and China tech, and everyone will love them once again. The world, is st the world still is the same. You never change it as sure as the stars shine above. And that's the case with these quality businesses. The tides will turn as sure as the stars shine above. Uh, Fox Business, uh, we covered that. I was on with Liz. Thanks again to Liz Clayman and Ellie Tarrett. Um, we covered unemployment. We covered skating to where the puck is going. And we covered our biotech thesis, which we reiterated earlier. Uh, the group has now bounced in the last two weeks since the first uh, time I was on the show talking biotech. 
And since we talked about it uh, two weeks ago in the podcast video cast, the group's up 15% uh, as of the writing on the XBI, 9.8% on the IBB, and 48.41% for the Cowboys in Labu, uh, which is you know higher risk, higher volatility. But the point is, it's moving in the right direction. How long does it stay in this range before it breaks out? We don't know. It could be imminently. It could be a few months. We don't really care. We think the margin of safety is high enough that it's worth the wait uh, or not wait. You know, we're due for an overnighter and uh, this could be the one. So uh, so these are the previous two notes. You can check our theses there. This is the new data from Bank of America, which I discussed. The sector has to appreciate 155% just to get back to its average price to operating cash flow multiple. It's going to overshoot on the upside just as it's currently up overshooting on the downside. Some of the catalysts, this is the cash on healthcare balance sheet. This is how low M&A has been, uh, historically low. That's going to turn probably imminently this year. Um, This shows the new uh, price to uh, PE multiple for Alibaba. Uh, It's just giving you a visual of where we are. Uh, For Sumit, you know, we've come off this uh, scare about registering the the, uh, shares. It didn't take out the December lows. It held those. And now it seems to want to push higher. So we'll, we'll see how it goes up 13% in the last two weeks uh, off the retest. All right. Um, so we covered the IPO. As I stated in my December note, December 30th note, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to buy at 2014 prices, uh, despite the fact that you've gotten 900% uh, revenue growth, 600% cash flow growth, and 600% earnings growth that you're not paying for. And then I put in the more updated financials from value line, PE ratio 12.2. Uh, look at the cash flow per share. Was at one, 185 in 2014, 2017, five and change, this year 11, next year is at estimated 13. Uh, so you're, you're paying for 185, the same price at 185, you're getting $13 a share of cash. I mean, it, it just, it's unreal. I mean, it's... Uh, same thing with earnings, pretty much similar. One fit started at 156, 975 this year, 1165 next year estimated. Um, book value, they've compounded the book value. Intrinsic value started at 944. It's now at 62 and change. Uh, and then revenue started at uh, 12.2. It's now up to 128.5 and expected to be 134 next year. Return on capital has consistently been, this is the most important thing in the world, in the mid-teens, still remains in that average range, expected to go up to 17.5 in coming years. Uh, But like like, uh, Charlie Munger said, that, you know, a business that uh, gets a return on capital of 6%, you can't expect it to grow much more than that on a compounded basis over time. The inverse is true. You can't expect a business to compound, let's call it at an average 17% uh, over uh, 16, um, eight years and still trade at the same price. Eventually that coiled spring is going to spring like, just like Microsoft did in our uh, paying the bank article uh, that you can look up from late December. Is it in here? No, it's not, okay. Paying the bank, Uh, you can just click on commentary or sentiment. The one where I'm standing next to the Olympian with the gold medal um, in Tampa, uh, where it explains the uh, how 
Microsoft did nothing for seven years at the same price. Fundamentals were improving just like you're seeing in BABA. And then it had this like multi-thousand percent run over the next few years. Uh, so I think, you know, we could see similar type of things, not multi-thousand, but I think multi-bagger for sure. Um, okay. And just remember, this is my new thing. All sales have expiration dates. Once you've missed the sale, you ain't getting it again. Uh, this is like buy one, get two free. That, that's basically how I think about it in terms of intrinsic value. So, uh, we covered the employment stuff. You can go through that on your own. The money, Mitch, uh, we covered a little more about Russia and Iran, uh, which we, we touched on here, how the January 24th or 25th, that Monday was likely the low, the reasons why you don't get 20% corrections in the S and P without a recession. We got 4% GDP. By the way, if you're on the podcast, you're going to get cut off in a few seconds. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on the video cast, fast forward the YouTube video to minute 60. You'll pick up word for word where you left off. You could also go back and see some of the charts you missed, which probably would be helpful this week. Uh, and we're going to wrap this one up shortly, though, so you'll only miss a few minutes. Um, okay, so we covered that energy. You can go through the money Mitch thing on your own time.